Okay, now I want to jump right in today because we're actually starting off this new sermon series that we've been talking to you about. Um, And I want to start by actually looking with you uh, at our mission statement at Silver Creek Fellowship, our mission statement that we have here as a church together. So this is our mission statement, and what I'd like to do is I'd actually like us to read it together out loud, if you will, because this is our mission statement, not mine, but ours. So we're going to just read it, starting with the word together. Would you read this with me? Together, discovering God's dream for our lives. That was great. You guys sounded great. Let's do it one more time. Together, discovering God's dream for our lives. So the question that comes up when we read that statement is, what are we talking about? What is God's dream? What's God's plan? What's God's purpose for our lives? More specifically, what's his dream for my family? What's his dream for my finances? What's his dream for my relationships, my work, my health, my sexuality, my faith, my neighborhood, our community? What's God's dream for our lives, and that is the quest. That is the thing that we together are walking out, are living out, are discovering, and the key word here uh, is together. Together is the very first word of our mission statement for a reason. We do this together. And this sermon series that we're starting today, everyone's reading that quote. Can you go back to the uh, mission statement for me? Thank you. This sermon series that we're starting today goes from now up until Palm Sunday, and we're really attempting in this sermon series on Sunday morning uh, and on Wednesday night at our soup suppers to deepen our relationships, to deepen our delight in the truth that we truly, friends, are better together. You see, I believe, friends, we are at a real crisis at a a, a real influential moment in the history of our country. Because people are becoming more and more isolated from each other. You see, in the not-too-distant past, we're not talking about ancient history, we're talking about recent history, people flock to social clubs, to social groups like the Grange and the Elks and the Lions and the Rotarians. People belong to bowling leagues. People on top of weekly church attendance also belonged to lots of other community groups and clubs because life was hard and they recognized that they needed each other. They needed relationship if they were going to make it through and have a healthy life. Part of a healthy life was considered to have healthy, strong relationships. But in our modern world, because of access to things like technology and instant access to entertainment, from the comfort of our own home, we have seen over the last several years, and the pandemic certainly sped this up, we have seen this increased, uh, actually decreased desire to be around other people. The desire to be with other people is dwindling. We are increasingly, as a people, choosing isolation for ourselves. In fact, when it comes to social gatherings, we have this kind of, if I have to, If God makes me, I guess that I will. But see, the tragedy is that for most of us, we don't have a single true intimate spiritual friendship. 
And one of the largest changes that's come out of this pandemic season, in a recent survey that was done of the American public post-pandemic, they discovered that the majority, almost 49% of people, reported that they had less than three friends. Less than three friends. They have acquaintances. But people who they'd actually consider a friend was less than 49%. This is where the quote can come up. See, I believe that we're called to have more than just acquaintances. This is to earn brownie points with my wife because it's her all-time favorite. But Anne Shirley from Anna Green Gables said it like this. A bosom friend. An intimate friend. You know, a really kindred spirit to whom I can confide my innermost soul. I've dreamed of meeting her all my life. I never really supposed I would. But so many of my loveliest dreams have come true all at once that perhaps this one will too. Do you think it's possible? See, not only do I think it's possible, Anne, I believe that it's God's dream for our lives and that we can discover this, friends, together. I believe that one of the very best things we can do as a church is that for our community, for our valley, for our country, for the whole world, one of the very best things we could do as a church is just to grow in our love and our relationships for each other. I am convinced that in 2023 that the most effective form of evangelism that this church could enter into would be as a church body that we would recapture the love and the relationships and the friendships that Jesus intended for his local church to experience. I'm convinced that if we truly loved each other the way that Christ has set the church up to love each other, that we would literally have to lock our doors to keep the city of Silverton out because they're hungry friends for love and relationships And God intended for them to experience that kind of love, those kind of relationships through the local church. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. As Jesus prayed for us in John 17, uh, verse 21 through 23, he's in the garden and he's praying. He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Listen, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. I am convinced That if we allow the Holy Spirit to produce this kind of love and relationship in our midst, that it will have a radical, transforming power in our community. Remember, we say this a lot around here. If you want to have a healthy local church, because I believe a healthy local church can transform the city of Silverton. But if you want to have a healthy local church, first you have to have healthy people. And if you want to have healthy people, friends, You have to have healthy relationships. So to kick off this new series that we're calling Better Together, I actually want to dive in to my life verse with you. Now, this my life verse, it's funny. Um, In kindergarten, I went to Silverton uh, Christian School for kindergarten because kindergarten, I'm old. 
Kindergarten wasn't offered in the public school system then, so you went to private school with ADD. My mom was ready for me to go to kindergarten. So I went to kindergarten, and as part of my graduation ceremony, I recited this verse from memory as a kindergartner. And for my whole life, God has used this to stick with me as really a, a fundamental foundational verse in my life. Philippians 1, 3-6, Paul prays, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So, I want to, before we jump in and dissect this a little bit, I want to talk about this church in Philippi because I think it's important that we understand when Paul is referring to this incredible partnership that he shares with this local church in Philippi, let's talk a little bit about that church. The church in Philippi was planted on Paul's second missionary journey that took place around A.D. 50. Now think about this, A.D. 50, Paul's second missionary journey. Now we're talking like 20 years, give or take, after Jesus' death and resurrection. This is the very early days of the Christian movement spreading around the world. This city of Philippi, it's located in ancient and modern day Greece, and it's on the eastern border of the Roman province that was called Macedonia. And it was an incredibly important and strategic city in ancient times. In fact, it got its name Philippi because it was named after Philip of Macedonia, who was the father of Alexander the Great. When Alexander the Great spread the Greek empire over the earth, he named the city after his father and made it the capital city of all of ancient Greece. This was an incredibly important trade route, an incredibly important city, and Paul had no plan to visit it. No plan to visit it. Paul's second missionary journey, he was going to retrace his steps from his first missionary journey and encourage and support the local churches they had planted on the first trip, except the Holy Spirit starts to oppose them. Literally, the Holy Spirit starts to get in their way, and they're trying to figure out what's going on, and in the meantime, Paul has a vision of a Macedonian man who says, you need to come over here. So Paul, Timothy, Silas, Luke travel to Philippi. And when they get there, one of the things that's unique about Philippi is, unlike all of Paul's other stops, he doesn't go to a synagogue. We don't know if that's because there wasn't one, or we, we find out that he goes to the riverside to look for people who are worshiping God. And he goes out to the riverside, and when he's there, he comes across Lydia. Lydia, a Gentile woman who becomes the very first Christian convert in the European continent. Lydia, the very first convert in Europe. And the story that we find about this is contained in the book of Acts. This brand new church plant is made up of a motley crew. The brand new church plant is made up of a people with pretty diverse life stories and backgrounds who don't share an awful lot in common. In fact, we're told the first convert is a woman named Lydia. Lydia, a rich, wealthy fashionista who was in the royal garment purple business, making uh, purple garments, which were the highest level. She would have been, you just kind of think, she's at the top of society. This is a rich, wealthy woman. And it says her whole household ends up getting baptized and added in to the faith. Next, 
We have a Greek slave girl who's a fortune teller who's possessed by demons. The demons tell her things that then she makes money for her masters. Ultimately, Paul and his team cast the demon out of her, which leads to great trouble for Paul and his team because now they're cutting into the pocketbooks of the elite of Philippi and they're thrown in jail. Not just thrown in jail, they're tortured, they're beaten, they're treated terribly, and they're not just thrown in any jail, they're thrown in the inner part of the roughest jail in town. The Roman jailer who was responsible for them becomes the third known convert. So we've got Lydia, this businesswoman. We've got a demon-possessed slave girl, and now we have the Roman jailer who in the middle of the night as an earthquake happens and God shakes the jailhouse, ends up getting saved, and his entire family and household become part of this brand new church. Now, would you say from day one this church has probably got some issues? I would say yes. Just like the church in Acts chapter 2 where people from all over the earth are gathered and 3,000 get saved, well, suddenly they've got this new group. It doesn't look like they share an awful lot in common. It doesn't look like this would be a church that would be a great partner. But you know what they did share in common? They shared in common an incredible experience with the power of the gospel. That's their link. That is what they had in common. For all practical purpose, it seems that this may be the only thing they had in common. And I would suggest to you that you will find this is the common thread all throughout the experience of the New Testament. Even Jesus' own disciples, you have a zealot named Simon, and at the same time you have a tax collector named Matthew. These two have nothing in common except that they experience the power of Jesus. And that changed everything. Friends, I've said this before, and I think we really need to embrace it and understand it. We share more in common with believers in China and Africa than we do with our non-believing neighbors who we went to high school with and have grown up with and have known our entire lives. You see, what we share in common is eternal in nature. We are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. We are not what we used to be, but we're something brand new. We've been born again into a new life. But we so often relate to the old life more so than the new life. But you'll find throughout the New Testament, these people were united. Why? Because they were a family. They were a new creation. The power of the gospel had changed everything. It was bigger than their nationality. It was bigger than their personality. It was bigger than their preferences. They had shared the power of the gospel and it had drove and deepened their love and their relationships with each other forever. Let's look at Philippians 1, 3 through 6 again, and then we'll look at some things that I see from it that's important to us. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. As I read this and was preparing for this, three words just absolutely jumped off the page that I believe are at the real core of what God is calling us in this sermon series, Better Together, really the essence of it, what God wants for each of our life. And they're these, these three words, joyful gospel 
partnership. Joyful gospel partnership is a supernatural bond that exists only between believers. Friends, it is greater than any connection you can experience here on earth. Because listen, you need to understand this. Death itself cannot break joyful gospel partnership. Now, for some of you, I'm going to do a little exercise. I want you to look around the room. Everyone look around. Just take a peek. See who's to your left and your right. I want you to understand something. These are the people that you are going to spend eternity with. Now, for some of you, you just got, whoa, a little anxiety, right? (laughs) This family, the people of God around the earth, is who we're going to spend all of eternity with. We are the family of God. And just as Paul did, This should lead us, that truth, that this is our very real forever family. More so than blood, more so than any earthly connection might be. That this family of people who love each other and who will live together forever should produce in us a desire with great joy to pray for each other. We should care deeply for each other. We're gonna be together for a really long time and so friends we want the best for each other and we want lots of other people to come along with us when paul said he prayed for the philippian church he said he prayed for them with joy why why did he pray with joy he prayed with joy because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now see it was this depth of partnership that brought paul this incredible joy this Partnership. Now, that word partnership, it's a word we've seen a bunch. We've talked about it as a church a bunch. That word translated partnership is the Greek word koinonia. Here it is again, friends. It keeps popping up. The Greek word koinonia here. I'm so glad that the Bible translators translated it here as partnership, but most often it gets translated as fellowship. And when we hear the word fellowship, we immediately, because of our culture, start thinking about things that fellowship, it may be an aspect of fellowship, but it certainly isn't the full picture of what God is asking of us or, or hoping for our lives. Let me just tell you that God's desire for you for fellowship is greater than coffee hour before or after church. God's desire for you for fellowship is greater than surface relationships with a bunch of people that you might learn the name of a few. God's desire for you with fellowship, with koinonia, is far far deeper than social interaction. You see, the early church devoted themselves holistically to sharing their whole life, including their possessions, together with each other. They were truly partners in the gospel. They did not just attend services together. They were a family, and they devoted themselves to this active participation in, here, radical idea, the actual lives of each other. They did more than just know each other. They became part of the same family. They shared what they had together. What they shared in common wasn't just their socioeconomic sameness. It wasn't just their ethnic backgrounds. It wasn't just their politics. In fact, 
If you want to read through the letters written to the church, you will see that they had all kinds of issues regarding those things, just like we do. Imagine Jews who suddenly are in a church with Greeks. Jews who are suddenly in a church with uncircumcised people who are eating meat that have been sacrificed to idols where they themselves have been living according to the Jewish laws. Can you imagine the controversy, the difficulty that they had? And yet, they committed themselves to each other. They worked through these disagreements. Paul had to bring some help and some correction at times. But friends, they were committed to one another. The entire Bible, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, is an incredible book about God's desire to partner with us and for us to partner with each other. It's an incredible story about relationships. That's what makes the Christian faith different. Other faiths around the world are ritual-based. Ritual-based. Our faith is relationship-based. It's totally different. God created human beings for relationship. Actually, this week, this little thought, it's funny how God does things with me. This little thought, just it, it, it's been sticking with me all week. You know, when God created the heavens and earth, what did he say each day? He saw it was good. Over and over, it says, God saw it, it was good. God saw it, it was good. God saw it, it was good. Did you know that before the fall, before sin entered the world, God actually saw something and said, oh, that's not good. Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So I'll make him a helper suitable for him. That's good, that's good, that's good. That, that's not good. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. So God made Eve and Adam to exist in relationship with each other. Because God looked at us and said, it's not good for us to be alone. Friends, I'm telling you this today. It's not good for you to be alone. You were not created to live in isolation. You were not created to live lonely lives. You were not created to exist and just go through your life and just go through. You were created for community. You were created for each other. You were created to exist in family. And that is why God has brought us together as a local church. So I want to point out just a few things here this morning from the text that, don't worry, this is the quick part. I want to tell you a few things from the text that I think are really important about gospel, joyful gospel partnership, okay? Here's number one, and if you're taking notes, this will be your first one there. Joyful gospel partnership is powerful. Joyful gospel partnership is powerful. Matthew 18, 18 through 20. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. God says, me, you, and another person is an incredibly powerful partnership. Capable of world-changing results. Do you believe that? 
Friends, do we believe that? Do we believe that when we gather together as a local church and we begin to sing the name of Jesus and lift him up and we hear teaching when we gather our lives and our voices together that God is present amongst his people? Do we believe that when God's presence is with us, that his power is also with us? Do we believe that when God shows up, he doesn't leave us the same as he found us? Do we believe that it matters to come together as the people of God? Do we believe that God enthrones himself upon the praise of his people? Do we believe this? Or is it just something we do? We go to church because, you know, it's Sunday. Now listen, I know the Holy Spirit is everywhere all the time. We call that the the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere all the time. But I also believe in the manifest presence of God. Let me explain that. That is where the presence of God is tangible. Where it's convincing. Where it's amplified. And the Bible promises us that when we gather together with other believers and lift up the name of Jesus, that we can experience his manifest presence. Does anyone need that besides me? I need to experience God. I need it to be more than just something I know is true in my head. I need it to be more than something I read about one time in a book. I want to receive it, experience it for myself. Because once you meet with God, friends, it changes you forever. It changes you forever. But so often, gathering together has become just, you know, just whether I go or not, it's not really all that important. I can watch it online later on my own or if I do or if I don't, but I don't see why we need to come together all the time. Well, listen to the author of Hebrews. He says it like this, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. How practically... Does the author of Hebrews say we're to stir one another up in love and good works? At least one of the ways he tells us is by showing up. We show up. We don't forsake the meeting together. We show up, not just at church, but at our small group. We stop coming up with reasons while watching Netflix at home is a better thing to do than coming and spending time with other people. We've got to break this cultural moment that we're stuck in, friends, where we feel like going out and being with other people is a drag. We've got to fight against this. The people of God need to be together. We need to gather. We need to share lives in common. We need to rub on each other. We need to hear each other. We need to know each other. We need to do all the one another's the Bible's calling us to do. We cannot do all of that if we don't first build relationships. And you cannot build relationships unless you show up. You've got to be committed to the experience of growing in our relationships. Joyful gospel partnership is an incredibly powerful thing. We need you, friends. We need you here. We need your faith. We need your worship. We need you to come prayed up, ready to worship God, and let that spill over to the people who are next to you. Ephesians 2, 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, now listen to the next word, than all what? We, we ask or think according to the power at work, what? Within us. 
To Him be the glory. Where? In the church. And Christ Jesus throughout the generations. Forever and ever. Amen. We collectively are partnering together to experience the power of God. Did you come to church this morning with the expectation that you would experience the power of the living God? Why are you here? Because friends, that expectation is important. And I want you together with the other believers gathered here to experience God in a powerful way. Here's the second one. Joyful gospel partnership is blessed. Listen to this from David, Psalm 133. This is one of the song, uh, Psalms of Ascent that's read regularly, would have been read regularly as part of the practice of the faith that Jesus grew up in. This is what it says, starting in verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the beard, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. This verse, David's telling us that God gives his blessing where? Where believers live together in unity. That God, the word actually bestow, if you have an older Bible translation, it's going to say the word commands. That God commands his blessing where? Where people live together in unity. It's not something we can make up. It's not something we can do apart from each other. It's not something I can make happen on my own. It's something that as we come together supernaturally in unity, God commands his blessing. If I said to you, church, how many of you want to be blessed? Well, duh, that's me. I want to be blessed. Well, what's God say? He says he commands, he bestows his blessing when God's people live together in unity. Do you want to experience that? Do you want to experience the blessing of God? Do you want to experience it in a huge, tangible way? Then God's calling us friends to live in unity. And it's not easy. It's going to get harder. The enemy knows that God blesses unity. So what's he do? He sows division. Because he doesn't want you to be blessed. He wants to hurt you. So he tries to mess it all up. That's why Paul tells the Ephesians, Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He gives them instruction all through his epistles to love each other, apologize to each other, be reconciled with each other, forgive each other. Because he knows that in this place of the local church, that if we live together in unity, that God will bless it. It's a promise. It's a command from Scripture. How many of you know this about God? That when he commands something, he's pretty good at following up with it, right? He keeps his commands. Well, it says he commands his blessing when brothers live together in unity. That's why Paul says in Romans 15, 5 through 6, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God commands his blessing when we live together in unity. Number three. Gospel 
joyful gospel partnership is prayerful. Prayerful. The greatest example that I can find in all the Bible of joyful gospel partnership is found in the very first church that was ever planted. The very first church that was ever started was started on Pentecost Sunday in Jerusalem just after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It's the first revival, the first Christian movement, the very first sermon that Peter preaches uh, with a salvation message happens there in Acts chapter 2. But before it, before it, look what the disciples and God's people were doing. Acts 1 verse 14, this is before Pentecost. It says, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In the book of Acts, we see that the early church gathered regularly for the purpose of prayer. At times, they gathered daily. And as they faithfully prayed, guess what? God showed up. And God worked miracles in their midst in response to their faithful prayer. Corporate prayer, praying together, was a foundational core value of the early church. Let's look at it in practice. Acts 2, 42-47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship koinonia, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this. Look at the power and the blessing that is on display for gospel, joyful gospel partnership. They devoted themselves to the Lord and to each other. They grew together. They worshiped together. They ministered to each other's needs. They enjoyed deepening friendships with each other. And as a result, daily people were being saved and added. This whole movement was started in prayer, be, continued in prayer. Look at Acts chapter 4. So chapter 2, we have Pentecost Sunday. The believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 are saved, added to the church that day. And then we flip over just a chapter to Acts chapter 4. And we have this account, 23 through 31. So Peter and John have been locked up now. for I mean, they're causing chaos in the city. The same Jewish leaders who just had Jesus crucified have them arrested. Now they've gotten out. This is on their release. Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together. What? In prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. 
Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal. Form signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. They prayed. God moved. They continued daily in prayer. God continued to move. They faced crisis. What did they do? They prayed and God moved. What did they pray for? They didn't pray that God would take away all their problems. They said, hey God, in the midst of all these problems, let's see your power. Let's see you move. Let's see you heal. Let's see you change lives. And God said, okay, let's do that. And he shook them up. Band, you can come up. In the late 1800s, there was a famous pastor and theologian. His name was A.T. Pearson. He wrote a whole bunch of books on revival history. I've been reading a lot about revival, friends, because you may or may not know it. There's revival in our land happening right now. God is on the move. And with the release of this new movie, on top of the fact that Ashbury and so many other college campuses, there's a major move of God happening right now. Do you want to see it for yourself? Do you want to experience it in your own life? Well, this is what A.J. said. There's never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. One of my favorite authors, Arthur Wallace, said it like this, A work of God will last only as long as the spirit of prayer that brought it to birth. See, joyful gospel partnership, people united together in prayer, have, will, and will always be used by God to change the world. It is through joyful gospel partnership that God moves, that God commands His blessing, that God releases His power. Friends, the world is in desperate need of Silver Creek Fellowship to deepen our love for one another, to deepen our reliance on God in prayer. The world is in desperate need of us to put aside our political views. Our nationalities, our backgrounds, our interests. The world is in desperate need of God's people to be united once again around the power of the gospel. Growing in our friendship and our relationship with one another. Preferring one another. Loving one another. Committing our lives to each other. Not just casually coming to church and sitting in the same seat and going home and staying the same. I believe that we are at a moment that if we want revival, we can have it. All my heart, I believe that. That if we truly as God's people would press in and say, Lord, revive us. Start with me and my family and then my neighborhood. God, revive my town. Revive our church family. Revive us, Lord. I believe that he's saying, okay, I'll do that. If we will be united together, friends, in joyful gospel partnership, I believe there's really no limit to what God will and can do between and in and through us. Do you want to see it? Do you really want to see it? Do you want to experience it in your own life or do you want to read about it in books? Because I want to taste and see. I want to get swept up in revival. I want to see the streets of Silverton change. I want to see the high school turned on its head. I want to see the people of God being the people of God. 
and transforming their community through our love for one another. Do you want to see it? Then let's press into the Lord.